Coog's house. So much Coog news to get into this weekend. We're playing the Naval Academy. There's all kinds of things to do in Annapolis. And there's a secret basketball scrimmage. Wait, what? A secret basketball scrimmage? Oh, no. They're coming for me. I know about the scrimmage. Oh, no. Ah, ah. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to stop by, be sure to hit subscribe and download the podcast each day for the latest on the Cougs all year long. If you're subscribed, our show should pop up in your feed each day so you can make sure you make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. We kind of have a smorgasbord of things to get into today before we get into the weekend because the weekend is full of Houston Cougars sports. On Saturday, the Houston Cougar football team will take on the Naval Academy. We'll get into that at the end of the show in the middle. We'll talk about what to do if you're in Annapolis listening to this and want to kind of see the sights there getting ready for the game but first, we're going to talk about this super secret scrimmage that has been alluded to in a bunch of different ways that the Houston Cougar basketball team is participating in. Now, we do know the Houston Cougar basketball team is going to be very strong this year. They have a preseason AP rank number three overall. They have the preseason conference player of the year in Marcus Sash, the preseason rookie of the year for the conference in Jarris Walker. They also have Jamal Shedd, who frankly is going to be an all-conference kind of guy as well. You know, any one of these guys could be all-American kind of caliber watch. I mean, I could see any of them turning into that. We also have a handful of role players like Tremont Mark. We have freshman Emmanuel Sharp, guys that will contribute in a big, big way that will be national names by the end of the season. And there's a lot of hype surrounding that basketball program. So the fact that this scrimmage is somewhat secretive feels kind of remarkable. I mean, so the things we do know is that the scrimmage is happening on Saturday. It's happening in San Antonio, Texas, but they're playing against the University of Texas, I believe, if I'm reading reports and indications correctly. Now, that's really interesting because there's a lot of hype around the Texas basketball program as well, right? When head coach Chris Beard came there from Texas Tech, he came and brought a lot of like Big 12 goodwill with him, right? He was in the national championship game in 2019 and built that program up in a way that is still running very, very strong. And I think Texas probably hopes they can do the same, right? They have all the resources of that school in Austin and on top of that, they also had a bunch of transfers in right away when Chris Beard showed up. I think they kind of feel like they probably like underperformed last year. If you look at like what their expectations were, they start off in the preseason super high in the polls themselves and kind of let things slip away over the course of their season. Now, I guess it was the first season with Beard, and we maybe need to you know allow time or grace or whatever. But why give them grace? We are the number three overall team in the AP poll. We're trying to keep that kind of thing from happening us and so we're interestingly enough in the scrimmage I think there's a couple things that really stand out to me Marcus Sasser versus Marcus Carr will be a interesting matchup to watch we don't get to watch this so I guess an interesting matchup to watch that no one gets to watch but when we hear reports about this after the fact I want to pay attention to how they say Marcus Sasser covered Marcus Carr because Carr is a much thicker bodied point guard he's you know a lot bigger across the chest and hips than Sasser but Sasser is obviously a very very talented guy a preseason player of the year candidate because of the things he does with the ball in his hands and his intensity on defense so with his intensity on defense I'm thinking he can kind of navigate around the bigger bodied car and with his ability to score I think he can kind of put car in some bad spots and bluntly I trust Jamal Shedd and Marcus 
Sasser's surrounding staff more so than the past first guy in Carr. I guess past first. I, I look statistically. I guess he's he really does score the ball pretty well too. But I I feel like I'm putting my faith in Sasser in that matchup. But when I'm looking at reports from this on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, trying to hear about how the scrimmage went, the super secret scrimmage that no one's supposed to know about, no one's supposed to go see. I feel like I'm gonna want to know how Sasser played in that matchup because. Marcus, we hear a lot about the big men in college basketball right now. Marcus Carr is as good a guard as there is across the South for sure. He's also a guard that we can kind of compare Big 12 to, right? I guess technically when Houston goes into the Big 12, Texas will be into the SEC. It's kind of like a this for that kind of swap, except that we've seen what Marcus Carr does in the Big 12. So if Sasser locks him up better, the direct comparison is right there, right? I also think it's like a highly competitive matchup, and unlike the red-white scrimmage we saw, Houston's going to get to put all their guys out there at once. And so you're going to get to see, like, what does it look like when you have all the pieces, you know, Sasser and Shed and Walker and Francis and all these different pieces put together on the floor at the same time. I think Tremont Mark actually should have also, also have a big day because he'll have both guards to work with. He needs those guys to kind of set him up in a way and getting to work with both as opposed to just shed in the red and white scrimmage, I think will be really, really important. I also hope that, frankly, because it's a closed scrimmage, we get to see, I mean, we get to see, I keep saying that so we get to see this thing. Obviously, I've heard about this and I've been paying attention to this, but it's super secret. We're not supposed to have heard about it. That's why they tried to yank me off stage a second ago. Oh, I should stop talking about that part. Oh, 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 okay. Anyway, this scrimmage is super, super secret and we don't get to see it, but I want people to tell us about Jairus Walker being a much more confident and calm guy in this scrimmage because I feel like in the red-white scrimmage, he was putting a lot on himself and trying to do a lot from the outside that obviously he can do that isn't as bad. Go watch his high school tapes. He can do that kind of stuff too. But he's at his best when he's getting downhill and attacking the cup. And when he's attacking the rim, I think he's as good a player as I've seen in a long, long time in college basketball for a freshman specifically. But he, he's been obviously working on his outside game. He's got a good jump shot. And it's like he couldn't do it in high school. I'm hoping for less jitters around all of that transition for him where he's trying to show off what he's worked on and still do the stuff that he is good at. And frankly, while it's nice to have a guy like Jarrett Walker in Houston for once, he's the kind of guy that Texas has athletically guys that look like him. I don't think they have anyone that is a freshman as talented as him right now, but it is certainly the kind of thing that you feel like, you know, athletically they're going to have guys that are as big, strong, and fast maybe not quite jump as high and maybe can't shoot from the outside when they're that big and strong and fast. But I do think that's a good test for him as well. So I want to look at what it looks like for Jairus Walker this time through. I'm looking to see Terrence Arsenault too because he's got the kind of length of a guy that in a Power 5 program like Texas, every team kind of has one long. They might not be as talented, again, as Terrence Arsenault is, but they have someone with the body type. So what does it look like when Arsenault gets to go up against guys that are kind of in the same wiry long frame because in the red and white scrimmage athletically Arsenal stuck out right athletically Jairus Walker stuck out they have great talent that also was very very clear but when they don't athletically stick out necessarily against these power five type of schools in a scrimmage setting that's what I'm interested in that's why when I look at the schedule for the University of Houston and the pre non-conference type pre-conference non-conference type of schedule those power five games against like the virginias of the world the oregon's of the world even as of late the alabama's of the world those kinds of schools will have athletes that look like our arsenals and our walkers and those kind of newer body types as this program has been building that we're getting in right we won't quite be able to out athlete them in the same way that we might get to against like 
the temples or Tulsa's, right? And so as I look at this, not to say that like American basketball isn't all good. I guess I should point out like Memphis has had those guys. Cincinnati has had those guys. We, we, we've seen those guys come through SMU in the past. I, I don't mean to be all doom and gloom about the American Conference, but as we elevate our own status, as we're moving into Power 5 basketball, I think it's worth kind of seeing how does this system look like with those athletes against their athletes. Because frankly, the defensive intensity and the hard work that has always been a marquee part of the program Samson has built is kind of like the default mid-major program fighting at the group of five team it's their blueprint to beat the Power 5 team. And so when you have Power 5 athletes running it, what does it look like? And we've got several, obviously the guys I've mentioned, Sasser, Shed, Mark, etc. Like We have the athletes now to do that, and I'm interested to see how it shapes out. Unfortunately, we don't get to actually see how it shapes out in this super, super deluxe secret scrimmage. I actually wanted to shout out the Pod Slam and Jamma crew for a really funny clip on YouTube where they're interviewing Jamal Shed, and they ask him about the scrimmage, and he like looks at them like, Y'all, y'all aren't supposed to know about that. Like, like, it's a really, really secret scrimmage to the point where I think Jamal was kind of taken aback. He'd actually mentioned it earlier in <laughs> in the interview, but he, I don't think, had really put together that, like, they're supposed to be talking about that. I'm sure there will be all kinds of audio and video coming out of it next week. Frankly, the Houston basketball and the Houston equipment social media pages have kind of hinted at packing up for a scrimmage, right? So, like, this is not super, super foreign. I don't know how the clips will be put out or where we'll find out about them. I do think that Houston is the group of five team playing the power five team is probably not the underdog. I'd imagine if you were picking betting favorites and scoring kind of sense that everyone would pick number three Houston over number 12 Texas, making Texas the, the power five team the underdog. Speaking of underdog, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. Now, I really enjoy coming here for some like Pac-12 after dark type of picking. I'm, for instance, going to pick Dorian Thomas Robinson to throw for over 263 and a half yards. I think it's going to get 264 plus. I just, I don't, I don't think the Oregon defense is necessarily the most pass defensive defense, pass defending defense, I should say, in the world. And I'm thinking that Dorian Thomas Robinson is going to have a better day for UCLA on Saturday afternoon. As for the Pac-12 after dark game i'm thinking i'm probably gonna have jack Plummer throwing over 256 56 and a half yards as well now i guess i look at that and think mostly be that that's just what i want to see if i'm sitting there watching pac 12 after dark i want to be rooting for more passing yards i want to be rooting for more offense and touchdowns and those kinds of things but you can go to underdogfantasy.com go to college football pick em, and do exactly the same thing easy to play and available and over 30 states just pick between two and five players across any team not just our houston cougars and decide if they're going to finish higher or lower than various statistical categories one of the easiest fantasy games out there you can win cold hard cash in a single game sign up with the promo code locked on all one word and underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars deposit a hundred dollars get a hundred dollars for free go to underdogfantasy.com right now or find the underdog fantasy app in the app store or google play store that's Underdog Fantasy promo code locked on gets you up to $100 matched on your deposit. Get in the college football pick'em action today. All right, so this segment may not happen with every road game we do, but in talking to their folks from Sing Second Sports, uh, if you missed the podcast from yesterday, we talked to some people that cover Navy football or Navy sports, I should say. Their names are John and Chris from Sing Second Sports, right? And they came on and talked to us all about Navy football, and we kind of got more acquainted with what they're looking to do on Saturday in the football game. 
I have to say that they brought up a good point. Like Houston fans traveling, it's a great, great place to go watch a game, which had me thinking Annapolis, unlike Tulsa or unlike Memphis or unlike Central Florida or wherever, does have a level of history to it that we should probably like talk about if you're in Annapolis this weekend and want to go find the sites and find things to see. You know, talk about what those things are, what things you need to make sure that you're seeing as a fan in Annapolis. Now, that's not to say there isn't history in Memphis or isn't history in Tulsa. There, frankly, is very, very interesting U.S. history from the 20th century in both of those places. I don't have the same things to say about Central Florida, though. Anyway, I think it's worth pointing out that there are some fun things to see and do in the in Annapolis and around the Naval Academy. So if you are there, I'm going to hand you a few things that I would recommend you go do. Just haven't been there briefly myself in the past. The first thing I'm going to say is you need to go see the U.S. Naval Academy's main chapel if you're a pretty chapels person. You know, some people do travel all over Europe looking at chapels and like find these big, you know, sustained chapel from hundreds of years ago and all da da da. We don't actually have the hundreds of years ago part here in the United States, but the U.S. Naval Academy's main chapel is one of those beautifully done old for our country type of chapel. So I highly, highly recommend that. If that's not really your vibe, but you want to go see other things in and around the Naval Academy, I would recommend the Crypt of John Paul Jones. He was an Independence War hero and Navy vet and really like helped lead the charge against this, you know, British Navy. Think about like the British Navy from the 1700s. He's the American leader of the Naval Force as the United States declares independence and fights in the independent war of independence against Great Britain. Uh, his remains were moved there from France, and it, it's this big like homage to him and the power of John Paul Jones. I would also say, as far as like monuments go, to go see Triton Light. It's at the water's edge. It's this kind of like surreal monument it's supposed to like symbolize like safe travels to everyone at sea. Uh, there's a Tecumseh monument. I have to say, which is interesting because like it's honoring the fact that like. We weren't the first people here, but also we as Americans, I should say, weren't the first people here. And it's like this look at like all the savviness that comes from the American Indian experience and working with them as well. So if you're in Annapolis for the football game this weekend, I make sure go see that. But don't step on the seal. There's also the Herndon Monument. Uh, Captain William Lewis Herndon lost his life saving a ship that was heading back to California filled with gold. And they have a whole thing there. I think the bigger thing there is there's like this tradition at the start of the year where uh, plebes are trying to place a Dixie cup at the top. It's like this tall obelisk and it's uh, fixing it that way. If old like architecture is more your vibe, there's a Peggy Stewart house. It's an old Gregorian home from the 1760s. It was owned by again Anthony Stewart who sailed a ship called the Peggy Stewart. Any, anyway, it's, it's a big, interesting house to go see. There's the Tripoli Monument. Uh, if you look for just more information, you're more of like a museum's kind of person. The Naval Academy Museum is full of information and artifacts from you know roughly 250 years of American history and having a very strong Navy throughout each of these different wars been in for the last 250 years. Uh, in a similar vein, I would rec- recommend going to the Naval Academy Cemetery. It's not going to be wholly different than the cemetery you would see in like Arlington nearby. However, it is where you see like Medal of Honor recipients, veterans, and stuff like that, all from within the Naval Academy itself. I also think it's worth pointing out that like this is also a school, and so there's this giant, giant dormitory, a 33 acre dorm called Bancroft with 1700 rooms in it 1700 rooms in it uh, they only let you in as a an observer and part of it but it's again 33 acres wide and then one of the things I think you got to see is like they do this brigade formation that daily noon brigade formation now obviously if you're there for just like 24 hours in the game on Saturday 
the game is going to take precedence over the noon brigade formation. But I do think it's interesting, like, if you're there Friday or Sunday, um, probably Friday, right? You're probably flying back Sunday. But I would say that that's something worth seeing as well. It's kind of like the same kind of routine or, like, formality of, like, the change in the guard and those kinds of things that you see in the Arlington National Cemetery, except it's, like, a bunch of people at once. Uh, it's more than 4,000 people outside of Bancroft Hall and do like this roll call kind of thing, weather permitting, I guess I should say, but I think it'll be weather permitting this weekend. It's cool, but not too cold. Anyway, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If you're a fan of the Houston Cougars visiting for the weekend, I'd say go make the most of it. I also say, please make sure you're representing the Cougars well. This is a nationally recognized and historic campus I, I mean i hope to be celebrating a big big win but i don't need a bunch of those like youtube videos of houston fan goes crazy and just punches a bunch of people and i don't i don't need all that this is a place to be respected and while i hope to have a like big big win on the scoreboard that's about as disrespectful as i'm willing to get please 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 take care of this weekend don't do anything that embarrasses us or our coogs all right, so in our third segment here, this is going to be our longest segment of the day, but I think it's time to actually break down what I'm going to predict after a week where the research is going to happen in the football game on Saturday when the Houston Cougars are playing the Naval Academy midshipmen. Now, I have to say, first of all, when we started the week on Monday, I was kind of nervous. You're in the high of the Memphis game and all of that for a little bit extra time. You also have the bye week, and you're trusting college kids to kind of make responsible decisions on bye weeks. And having been a college kid before with my own handful of bye weeks when I was playing back in the day, I, I, I feel like irresponsible decisions may get made on those bye weeks. I digress. I just I remember being 20, 21 years old before as well. That all being said, I think I actually heard some relatively encouraging things in the media availabilities this week. I also feel like there was a very doubt in focus from a lot of the team all week long. And I think, frankly, as we look at it, it might be good that they got the two weeks because, in all honesty, if you look at you know the kind of offense that the defense has to go protect themselves against this week, uh, protect the end zone against, I should say, uh, at the end of the day, it's a defense that you, you need to run a lot of reps of because it's an offense you don't see the other 11 weeks of the season, right? And so getting the extra few days, even if they only spent two days of the first of the two-week pre preparation period on Navy specifically, that's two more days than you get in a normal week. I, I mean, I think that there's part of you that thinks of bye week that first we need to be about some rest. There's part of you that thinks about like how that needs to be like fundamental week. But also with Navy, you, you get a couple extra days to kind of get used to these option reads and playing these option reads. And I think that that's really, really going to help a lot. I think about like the strength of the defense is the defensive line. And that is our best handful of athletes. And that certainly is where most of our playmaking gets made either directly or indirectly and them taking up a bunch of double and triple teams and letting linebackers scrape free. And so I have to think that on the whole, getting our best athletes, our best football players, extra work in preparation for an offense that is designed to make them wrong. I think I think I feel good about it. I think I feel good about that heading into the week. Now, I'm not saying we're pitching a shutout, but I am saying that I feel like that helps Houston in a big, big way. I certainly don't feel like it's going to be a dab of Fofana fullback up the middle. I think we can take that away fairly successfully. I don't see him necessarily being the guy that beats us. I feel like we're going to have to make Ty Lavatai, their quarterback, put it in the air. And if we can make them that type of one-dimensional, then I feel really, 
really good about watching like D'Anthony Jones or Nelson Caesar get after the quarterback a little bit, right? I think that's a good, good sign. I also could see like Elias Bell, right? He's more of a rotational guy, getting a lot of edge reps. I could see him coming into the game and making a lot of plays as a defensive lineman in this game once we make them put the ball in Ty Lavatai's hands and make them kind of adjust and try and throw the ball down the field. Because while Coach Bell did mention throughout the week, you remember that this is a kind of offense that has explosive plays to the outside, it is certainly not the kind of offense that can do that with pressure in its face. Ty Lavatai is a very like elusive runner in his own right, and I don't mean to say that he can't throw it while he's running it, but I do think we've got the athletes up front, even in like including our linebackers in the mix and Donovan Mooton or Jamal Morris or whomever. I think that we've got the guys to get this done, or at least we do on the defensive side of the ball. And we're going to get to offense in a moment, but if the offense can do similar kind of work, then frankly, this Navy offense, so our defense is, is not going to have to work against a Navy offense that is built to come from behind. Like they put up a bunch of fight at the end of the SMU game, We've heard what I have to say about SMU. And also, I feel like, frankly, that, if anything, is kind of the wake-up call in and of itself. Now you have tape on what it looks like when this Navy offense with this personnel is trying to kick it into gear and mount that big comeback. And so you hope that Belk and the defense have watched that tape this week say, okay, if we can make them one-dimensional, this is what that one-dimension looks like. And I think that works in our favor as well. I feel really, really good about the defense going into the Navy game, especially because on Monday and Tuesday, as I was entering this study of this process, I don't know that I felt that way. I Frankly, if you'd asked me on Monday, I'd have said, do we have a guy on the interior that can tackle Dabba Fofana? And now I'm thinking, okay, if we can keep Jaden Umbarger in front of us, I think we got a chance, right? And like, I, I just feel better about the defensive side of the football at this point. Yes, I know I talked to our buddies at Sing Second Sports, and they frankly made me feel like, oh, they, they were trying to persuade me that this is a must-win kind of game for Navy, and that's going to really hype them up, and this and then the other thing. And there's probably something to that. But on the whole, I feel like if we can get the offense on the scoreboard first, early, often, etc., our defense can kind of then kick it into gear and really take advantage. Now, that's not to say that it won't be a four-quarter game for the defense. As I mentioned, the SMU game, they had a couple big touchdowns on the stretch that really kind of made that a close game. And we've seen Houston give up those kinds of leads before. And while I guess they, they've won that as well, I I feel like if this goes to one of those mental toughness kind of things, then this is not necessarily dismissive of Houston, but most teams would not be as mentally tough as a Naval Academy football team. So I don't want to get into that kind of situation necessarily either, even if we truthfully have played five out of our six games within a one-score game and we, we feel comfortable in those games as just teams we play every week. I don't know if I want to do that against Navy because, again, they can ball control, they can clock control, they can get t- and they're mentally tough kids. I'm not sure I want to get into that. So I think the defense has a big, big week, assuming the offense get on the scoreboard. Assuming the offense get on the scoreboard. Assuming the offense get on the scoreboard. Assuming the offense can get on the scoreboard. As I look at our offense lined up, I I don't see guys in their backfield, in their defensive backfield, that can keep up with Keyshawn Carter or Tank Dell or, frankly, even to some degree, Christian Trahan. Right? Like he's a big-bodied tight end, wideout kind of hybrid guy. I guess he he's lined up at tight end. I shouldn't say hybrid guy, but he runs routes, the arrows, and those kinds of things. I feel like as I watch this football team. Houston's got the talent and the speed to really, really get after the Navy defense. Now, 
Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to like get a lot of misdirection type things and get their eyes wrong. It's It looks like on film, like Navy runs a very tight ship. No pun intended. Okay, maybe a little pun intended, but not like a big pun intended. Anyway, it feels like Navy runs a tight ship as far as what their defenses will be ready for. And I worry that, you know, Houston's offense is going to come out kind of slow and sluggish after two weeks of no game reps because it kind of seems to be the MO where Houston kind of comes out slow and sluggish. Remember, first quarters across the board have not been our strongest offensive quarters this season. Uh, Frankly, like when we think about the Memphis game, we didn't do anything until the fourth quarter of any note offensively. And so when I think about this, that's kind of the trap I see set up is that it's not that the defense won't be able to step up to the challenge of Navy. It's that the way you beat this Navy team is by getting out to a lead and forcing them to be one-dimensional. And I do think our defense can do all of that it's can the offense build the lead up that helps keep their part of that equation. I, I will say, frankly, that if you know they get into the up-tempo stuff that I love, we've heard me on this podcast for a couple weeks now talking about how much I love the up-tempo stuff, or I love when Houston does the up-tempo stuff, I have to admit that I was a little dismayed to hear Dana Holgerson this week, Clayton Toon this week, and different people in various media availabilities comment that they're not going to like hang their hat on that and I, I just don't get why I don't I don't get why you can watch how can you watch our tape and how can you watch the games that we've played and not want to hang your hat on this explosive exciting fast speed the NASCAR tempo it just seems to open up so much more of the Holgerson offense and I'm not even saying they have to like you know run a bunch of plays like very very quickly in a short period of time it's more about like getting to the line and getting set up not running huddles so you don't let the defense huddle so they can't react to personnel they can't react to those kinds of things i do think there's also something to actually run the plays really quickly i don't mean to say there's not but i i don't understand why we're looking at this as a slow down the pace of the game kind of thing or you know run the clock out kind of thing or whatever when all of the reads of the offense are just these super simple mesh concepts. The plays that work the best are not intricate down the field, like zigzagging, you know, two cutting, breaking this, breaking that way kind of stuff. It's fade balls, skinny posts, mesh concepts. Like these are not difficult things, you know, pick plays, rub plays, like they're not crazy difficult. And that's what's worked the best. And frankly, that's why the fourth quarter against Memphis looked so strong. And I think that that's the kind of thing that if they have trouble against Navy early, you could see them get into in like the second quarter. And maybe that's what it's going to take, right? Maybe it's going to take getting into this in the second quarter and then flipping it into gear, moving forward to that. I'm like, oh man, that was the way we were successful against Memphis. That was the way we were successful against Navy. And we didn't do that against like Tulane, right? Maybe that's what it takes. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I just I don't understand why they'd be doing anything else. It frankly seems like to me it's a way to get guys like Sam Brown or CJ Nelson in space, which as a young receiver then is like the easiest part of what they do, right? You get them in space on a simple, you know, rub route or mesh concept, and then they get to turn a three yard throw by making a couple guys miss into a fifteen yard gain, right? And deeper, more complicated concepts can be hard on your freshman receivers those guys are working in the mix and and getting a lot of snaps these days but this idea of like catch the short throw and turn it into six points or you know turn into 10 yards or whatever is so much easier for a receiver because running with the ball after the catch is natural backyard football they've been doing it their whole lives right now are the defenses bigger stronger faster in college than in high school sure for a freshman doesn't matter sure 
But being able to just like catch the ball and run is so much more simple and easy for a kid to understand in their first year of college football as opposed to we're going to run routes where there are three different breaks. And further, we don't run the concept, the routes that run three different breaks. So we run the shorter underneath stuff anyway. And that stuff is easy and simplistic for defenses unless you're running it down their throat and going fast tempo where they don't have time to react. And, and so I know I'm going to die on this horse, apparently. Die on this hill, beat the dead horse. I mix them all up. I'm just so upset. I don't understand. I don't understand. If Houston does not use two-minute drill NASCAR tempo in the first quarter on Saturday, I may be bald by the time we start putting this thing on video podcast. I'm just pulling my own hair out. I don't understand why. <sighs> I digress. That's my two cents. I think if the offense gets on the board early, they really have a shot. If they can't, it's up to the defense to kind of keep it low score and keep it into the second and third quarter. I would do that by interjecting some of the tempo stuff, as I just mentioned. But we'll see what Holgerson and the staff do on Saturday. Find me on Twitter to talk about it. You can find me at Painsworth512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all the good things, all the social media things. I'll be talking Cougs, Astros, Rockets to busy, busy sports time. Also, Christian McCaffrey just got traded. Whoa. My fancy team is loving Christian McCaffrey just getting traded to San Francisco. I'll probably be talking about that this weekend, too. Anyway, find me at Painsworth512 to do all things Cougs, all things Houston sports, all weekend long. I also will talk sneakers. I'm sure you'll see what I do probably don't get on the sneakers app this weekend as well. That's Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512. Thank you so much for listening today. I'd recommend making Locked on Astros, your second list in the day. The Locked on Astros crew is following the Houston Astros throughout the playoffs and what we hope for another World Series ring at the end of it. They had a big, big win against the Yankees to go up 2-0, so go check them out for your second list in the day. Thank you so much for making us your first list in the day. Make sure you hit download, subscribe, give us a five-star review, do all the wonderful things that help with the podcast. Go Cougs!